Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of RZ Weekly. My name is Ruben Spolter. I'm here with Harab Johnny Solomon and Aramanit Mali Brodsky. And today we're going to discuss, uh, the with a backdrop of a, re- a, of a recent decision, we're going to discuss the, the thorny topic of the chief rabbinate and the relationship between the modern Orthodox, or more precisely, the religious Zionist community, and its ambivalence towards the chief rabbinate in Israel. So this whole discussion is, is uh, we're going we're gonna to begin uh, by discussing a decision prompted by the chief rabbinate, a decision this week from Israeli's chief rabbinate regarding the uh, uh, olim from Ethiopia. So I'm going to actually turn it over to uh, Johnny Solomon, so, so Johnny can describe the decision uh, as presented in the papers uh, about the Ethiopian community, and then we'll we'll expand it and, and use it as a springboard to discuss the chief rabbinate itself. All right, Johnny, take it away. Okay, so um, let's go back a little bit. We know that there's been a Jewish community in Ethiopia for thousands of years. Um, I say we know that because there are records and numerous rabbis had affirmed the fact that there's a tribe of Jews or there's a tribe of people who affiliate as Jews. Now, the whole question of their Jewish status has been itself uh, discussed in Chubot uh, over the centuries. There's a famous uh, Chuva between the community of Kiran and of Tzemach Gaon, uh, which discusses uh, the nature of of Jews living in Ethiopia, and specifically uh, through the testimony of Eldad Hadani, there's a very, very important response by the Radbaz, which affirmed their Jewish status. And in 1973, Rav Yosef made it very clear that on the basis of the evidence that uh, he'd seen, and on the basis of the authority of the Radbaz, and on the basis of his authority as chief rabbi, he affirms the Beti Israel community as being Jewish. Now, why was this really important? Well, we're not going to go so much into the, the political changes taking place in Ethiopia at the time. We had, though, uh, tens of thousands. In fact, at that point, I think it eventually came up to around 130,000 um, uh, people living in Ethiopia identifying as Jews, wishing uh, to move here to Israel under the law of return. Now, significantly, the law of return, as we know, does not uh, define people as Jewish according to halachic status. And the key question is, if this group of people come to Israel, do we view them as Jews or not? Now, numerous rabbis at the time, there's a ruling by Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, there's a, a more uh, harsher ruling by the Tzitzeliezer, basically said, we view them as doubtful Jews or not at all, and they need to convert. Ruvavad Yosef, with his broad shoulders, said, they're Jews on my authority, they're Jews on the ruling of the Radbaz, and that's it. However, not everybody was satisfied with that, and so, notwithstanding the fact that Ruvavad was a, a great rabbinic master and great Pasek, since then, many people have taken issue with his ruling. They basically said, on many areas we think you were right, but on this one, we think you were wrong. And so, while few people question Ethiopians' right to return, because that doesn't necessarily define halachic Jewish status, many people have questioned their halachic status, while others basically say, Ravavadu ruled it, and that's the end of the conversation. Now, that ruling was in 1973. 
Since then, many uh, institutions have acknowledged that ruling and followed through and have not questioned the status, the halakhic status, the Jewish status of the Beta Israel community. Johnny, Johnny, Johnny question. Johnny Since that thing. time, was there ever any public decision, i.e. a rabbinic, like um, an official decision of the rabbinate of Rashid, or was it always just Rabbi Vadya's decision and we just left it at that? The yeah, state of Israel followed his decision, and that was it. Right, because my memory of that time, very vaguely, the sense that, like, and again, you can tell me whether this is right or wrong, but nobody seemed to, no, meaning, it, it wasn't like there, there was a Vavadja who said they're Jewish, and then everybody else was like, no, they're not, and we're not going to do anything about it, and we're going to leave a big problem. It was like, just in case they're, 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 you know, we're not sure if we have the, the halachic to, um, uh, you know, enough halachic uh, legs to call them Jewish. Let's let's do gyur misafek, and let's make the Ethiopians convert. And, and again, when I, I remember this from the early, I guess it was 90s, must have been the late 80s, early 90s, um, the, the impression that I got, perhaps wrongly, was that gyur misafek was, was done, at, you know, more or less on a mass level. The problem with that being was that it was highly insulting to the Ethiopian community, but the intent behind it was, was not meant to be insulting at all. The intent behind it was meant to kind of solve the problem, meaning if there are actually halachic issues here, instead of kind of, we have other communities where we have this problem, where you just don't do anything about it, and then you leave people in a state where like, okay, now you have hundreds of thousands of, of people in this country who consider themselves Jews, um, who consider themselves part of society, and what happens when you want to when 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 um, when when weddings come in between different people? Like, how, how do you then solve the problem? So, what I'm saying is, an approach that says let's do gyurmi suffix is not necessarily a a in in principle a demeaning approach. And historically, I'm asking you, is that what happened during the mass aliyot? Like, what so, practically was was what happened to the Ethiopian community when they first? I, I actually well, remember. I, I actually remember. I was. We were serving in. I think it was either Carmiel or we was, I was. Remember, I spent two summers working yeah. with the Ethiopian community. Molly, were you there? Were you on that uh, I thing? Was in, yeah, I was with you in Prachasinim. In, in, in Prachasinim, you were there. Yeah. yeah. And I remember once we did like we were brought in and we served on this like ad hoc baiting. Now you, I couldn't tell you what group of Ethiopians it was. It, it was the. It was the middle. It was college. So it was the middle. Of, it was the '90s, the beginning of the '90s. Yeah, it was, so, was '90. So I don't. I can't tell you which group of. I mean, I wouldn't have known the difference at the time between originally Ethiopian Beit Israel and Palashmura and who we were talking about. So it all. Like, and that's a whole other topic entirely. But correct. But it's important. It's an important piece of the conversation. I mean, yeah. That's a whole lecture and stern about the different issues, the different, uh, different um, groups. And again, her conclusion was therefore, you know. Guillaume Suffolk, she was, I, don't, I can't want to say this specifically for her, but my impression was she was presenting that as a positive um, solution to enable, right, mass geros so that we will not, so that we'll have a healthy, wholesome integration. Again, that doesn't mean I that. remember, I remember hearing, didn't Rabbi, like that, Rabbi, Aaron used to recommend to his students to do the Guillaume Suffolk just to avoid. That's, that's my impression. That's my friend, Rav Shalom Shalom. But I, I'd yeah. say there were really four different categories. One, which basically took Robert Vajra's ruling uh, as it is saying, uh, in fact, there are really five. five. One is, I don't need a ruling, for goodness sakes. Robert Vajra may be a nice guy. I don't need a rabbi to tell me I'm Jewish. The next is, Robert Vajra set basically ruled with Jewish. End of conversation. The other is, you know, we think you're Jewish, but just to make sure we can please people, to rubber stamp it, 
do a Guillaume Suffolk, but don't take it personally. There's a certain generosity of spirit. Um, the third is... No, we're number four. No, I'm counting. You're number four. You're number four. No, the, no, the real question mark suffix. Uh, that's kind of how I read Rav, Rav Moshe's ruling. And the others are, you know what? I think most of these people are not Jewish, and unless they're sincere converts, we should treat them as such. And that range exists in the halachic bookshelf. And so it's it's significant that some people would say, I can't even believe we're having this conversation. Other people would say, you know, my friend, he was an Ethiopian. They converted, but it was just to kind of make sure all the paperwork was in order. Others were pushed to convert, and others even where they may have done so, and certainly where they didn't, um, their, their halakhic status not, was not just significantly questioned, but there have been significant impediments to their Wait, uh, I want to either add a new category or just a little bit of, the one's the rubber stamp. You're making it sound like, it's almost like a little petty, the rubber stamp. But I think it's there's actually, as you said, there's a, there's this kind of generosity of spirit there where it's like we recognize that you are a Jewish community with a Jewish tradition and you consider yourself Jews. At the same time, if we look at the the history of, of, of you know, the years that have passed, there are serious issues. So it's... Wait, I, I don't think the rubber stamp is a halachic position. But it's not, it's not rubber stamping in the sense that, like, it almost makes it sound like a joke and, and, as a rubber stamp, where, where what it really is is my much gear misafik is a real thing. It's no, like, I don't think I, I don't think that that the suffix I'm saying Jewish. that we know that you're Jewish. We know, we know, you don't have to prove to us you don't have to go through a major gear, but we do have to do something so so that we're gonna preserve, you know, the integrity of uh, of our of, of our again, our 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 getting and kiddushin for the future and and so and to enable our community to to interact in a very healthy way overall. I don't think rubber stamp is a halachic position. I think rubber stamp was more of a of a of an Israel secular position. Meaning, yes, I don't. I'm not aware. Are you position. aware of anyone, any rabbinic authority that said, "Oh, are they obviously Jewish"? Are you aware of anyone who said that? Well, so what what are we talking about here? I, I said Ravajas, Freddy. I'm saying there's Ravajas, yeah, but right then anybody who says Ravajas is not saying, "Oh, for sure they're Jewish." Don't do anything. You have a lot of people who I think said. Again, like I'm thinking Ravara, maybe I think Rabbi Tal might have alluded to this. Like, yes, you know, this is Shivat. I mean, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm saying this, not them, but my impression is this is Shivat Zion. This is a Jewish community. We all welcome the back. But the issue of gear is not so simple, and therefore let's find a halakhic solution that's relatively um, kind of, you know, not complex and not a giant obstacle, but that will also solve this problem. Okay, that was 40 years ago. All that is really interesting intellectually. But in reality, it, the, 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 the halachic status, we'll leave the Palashmura aside, but in reality, halachic status of Beit Yisrael has been determined to be uh, obvious and move on. And that any attempt yes. to try to raise it, if you recall last year, the whole issue of the Barkan wines, where the Eda yes. Haredid came in and said, well, these people we don't really know, we, you know, Rabbi Baez is very nice and good, but we don't follow the Epsach, was met with, with widespread, almost universal condemnation. I mean, you know, which uh, to me actually. You're judging a psak based on the reaction on the. Hundred percent. That That's what I found. I, I, I found that case. I found this. But the Haredit were shitatam. They basically said we disagree with Raja then. We disagree with him now. We don't. Uh, we don't acknowledge their Jewish status. End of conversation. What we're saying is, been a social pressure in accepting a certain ruling. Uh, uh, Johnny, I found this case personally as a, like a, 
and a studier of the process of halakha, I found this example, just modern example of something fascinating, where, 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 whereas, I guess, 30 or 40 years ago, the, the moderate voices of the world would have said, uh, you know, we should do gir l'chumr, or what have you, no one would dream of saying such a thing now, even though nothing halakhically has changed, nothing really has changed other than public perception of the Ethiopian community. I just have a question for you guys. I'm trying, what are the facts on the grounds? Most of the, of the waves of Ethiopian Olim who came, were they put through a gear misafik or not? So, the answer is somewhere. somewhere. Well, it's most, yeah. What does so, that mean? And within the suffix, okay, but if most I'll were Ruby, then there's, there's, a, Look, there's a more reason to be outraged by the, by the Barkhan wine. Because it's like, the assumption is that, that this was taken care of by the Rabbanot, or it was taken care of by the, whatever you want to call it, the religious establishment. And now it's a question, it's like, we dealt, we, we dealt with this. You're either going to Barama or you, or you or you did some type of gear. To now question the Ethiopian community 40 years later, after there's been a very clear sense that We've ironed out the problems and that they are part of us, l'chol davar. That's what, I, maybe I'm just naive, but that's what, that's what raised the controversy. Yeah, but I, I actually want to speak. Maybe I'm just, I'm just very, you know, not knowledgeable about Ethiopian Jews. Well, the very fact that we're talking about it as a problem is for some Ethiopian Jews, it's self-offensive. As I, I said, the which I really issues, understand. What the heck are we even talking Correct. about? Right, you, so, so there are th- some who, who would feel not just this conversation, this whole sugya. Is ridiculous. Anyway, which way, what we haven't done is actually speak about the this, this, this so-called <laughs> yes. ruling. So, so Ravadji makes this ruling in 1973. He's considered by it within the halachic world more so as a dat yachid. Within Israel, his position is taken more seriously. Um, but still, there are people who are significant objectors. And what happens is basically it's a hit and miss. If you're an Ethiopian, you go to one place, they view you as a Jew. Another, they object and, and they won't necessarily process a wedding or won't give you, you know, give you certain uh, uh, positions of authority, whatever, whatever the particular situation. Whatever the case, the chief rabbinate uh, council two and a half months ago made a decision to publicly affirm and institutionally the ruling river Vajra, which, as I understand it, was established as a chief rabbinate ruling, but many within both the chief rabbinate and the wider circles kind of basically said, I don't buy it. So uh, basically a, a ruling was made, um, uh, uh, it was actually, they went to his house, Rabbi Vajra's house, sat around his table and said, you know, our great master is no longer alive. This is an important ruling. This ruling was stimulated by Rabbi Yehuda Derry, who was a chief, who is a chief rabbi of Belsheva and the brother of Aryeh Derry. I guess probably because he also has uh, members of his community who continue to be confronted by uh, by uh, uh, questions about their jurisdiction. He says, Rabbi Vajra Paskinis, almost uh, you know, forty-five something years ago. Why are we still having this uh, question? Let's try and kind of give his ruling a further boost. Uh, and, and make it clear that this isn't just his opinion, this is our opinion. So that's a story, and just to give you a few responses. Now, some people who said this was a historic occasion that the Chief Rabbinate Council uh, have actually affirmed the ruling of Avadja wonderful. Uh, other people basically say, this is a joke. What are you talking about? A ruling affirmed by Ravadja Yosef, right, uh, in 1973. We need some people to basically say it again, the fact that we need it is is ridiculous. The fact that these people feel that their voices need to count for more is 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 also somewhat berserk. So, for some, the word historic for some has been a big deal. For others, it's been laughable. Um, 
Uh, and for for the uh, an Ethiopian Jew, that now all of a sudden, and, and by the way, they made this ruling two and a half months ago, and they didn't publicize it till last week, and and many people have interpreted it because they're, they're worried how it would be perceived by those who have objected to this ruling of Avadja both then and now. So it's the, there was already still a cloud over this position. So uh, are some people it's a big deal? Ask other people. It's offensive that even needed to be said. Um, People are going to continue going out about their business. The question really is, are there Ethiopian Jews who now, based on this further reaffirmation of this ruling, are going to find access to certain services um, easier than necessarily would have happened um, some weeks or months or years ago? I think the answer, obviously, is it won't make a difference one way or the other. Meaning, uh, so this all ra raises, so let's go back a little bit in history. A few years back, maybe three years back, three or four years back, uh, this was all prompted by a case in Petah Tikva, where the Rabbi Petah Tikva, the Rabbi Nuda Petah Tikva, did not, I don't know if it does now, but did not acknowledge Yitzhak Abravadi Yosef and was making life difficult for Ethiopian couples who wanted to register to marry in Petah Tikva. And, and rather, they encouraged them to go somewhere else, you know, whatever, you know, you'd be better off in uh, wherever it is, in Ramat Gan or whatever. And this obviously caused a huge firestorm, and at the, at, at the time, the Sarah Datot said, okay, if you're not going to follow the law of the land, we're just going to defund you. And all kinds of political pressure came out. Did anything change? Did, it, did they change their mind halakhically? This raises like a, a huge issue because, because uh, in order to understand it, you need to step back a little bit and understand that there is this thing called the Rabbanut Rashid. It does have, um, I would say, it does, it does have the ability to make proclamations and to establish regulations, but it has no ability to enforce any of its proclamations and regulations on the local rabbanuyot, on the local the local rabbinates. Uh, this is something that I think is lost on many in the modern Orthodox community in America, and even in the religious Zionist community. Yes. That there's this thing called the rabbanut rashi, the chief rabbinate, which is the representatives, which is a, a board. Represent that that represents the largest uh, rabbis of the largest cities in Israel, and they make proclamations, and they're called the Rabbanu de Rashi. But then there's the act of the the actions of the rabbinate on the ground, i.e., every you know there's I don't know 150, 170 different mo'atzot, and each mo'atzah has its own local rabbinate. So Mali lives in Gush Etzion, I you know you, huh. you you live in Eben Shmuel. Yeah, I was just thinking that what you're saying is very correct, and we, it sounds like what you're saying is. In a, it's, it's, it's the problem of bureaucracy, right? You have this giant bureaucracy, and then you have the mini pockets putting out the bureaucracy, and your initial, you know, impulse say, oh, that's terrible, because then you have, like, Petah Tikva, but on the other hand, it's also very good, because you have, let's say, for example, the Rabbanut of Gush Etzion, which people know if there are certain religious services that you want done well, with respect, and, um, and um, efficiently, go to Gush Etzion. Um, also but in Bali, it goes far beyond yeah, of, of well course. and efficient. It, it, it's far, far I beyond. I just to point out A, a positive side, and B, to say the problem with the Rabbanut is that it's a giant bureaucracy. And bureaucracies are not good. Wait, let, let's go back for a second. I, I think the problem goes, it's not a question of bureaucracy per se. It's one of the problems. There right. Are many, many, there are many problems with the Rabbanut. Bureaucracy <laughs> is one of the problems, but it's not one the one I was describing. What I'm describing is a system where the, the, the body that pretends to speak for the entire group that called the right. rabbinate Correct. actually does nothing of the sort. And I, I've heard lectures... I'm saying that's a partially because of the, the way it's bureaucratically designed. The way it's designed. It's a problem of design. Or maybe it's yes. a feature. Is it a bug or is it a feature? Yeah. 
you know, the, 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 so, for example, let's, let's, leave, let's leave Gitin and Ethiopians off for a second. Let's say the, it's an issue of kashrut. So the Rabbanu Rashid wants to create a standard of kashrut that you can know that if you walk into an establishment that has Rabbanu Heksher, you know there are basic minimum standards. That's the, that doesn't exist today. This is something that people, maybe some are aware or some are not aware. You know, it all depends on the meticulousness and the evaluation of the local rabbinate. So the Rabbanut of, of, you know, Ramat Gan could be excellent, whereas the Rabbanut of Haifa could be terrible, or vice versa. You have no idea because it's all totally independently managed. And the same is exactly true of Halachic Psak. The Rabbanut of Rashi can make proclamations, can make statements regarding Ethiopians, but that has no binding effect on Petach Tikva at all. The Rav of Petach Tikva can say, very nice. But I don't paskin like you. I don't accept the rulings or the decisions of the rabbinate. And I think for that reason, uh, even, even, as this pro- even if you would say this proclamation is welcomed, it might be 30 years too late. It might be, fa- it's fascinating that they just decided without even bothering to a- ask or tell the Ethiopian community. But who cares? Because it has no effect on the ground. If, you know, in Gush Etzion, they were honoring it forever, they were, they'll still continue to honor it. And if they were giving it problems, the fact that the Rabbi Nuda Rashid said something will make their maybe it makes their life harder, but it won't have any real effect on the ground. I think, Molly. Well, is there a question there? I agree. With you. <laughs> <laughs> Problem. Listen, the Rabbi Nuda is a tricky thing. Well, do I, I don't want to start laying. I guess the question would be the, the question? Que- my, I'll, I'll frame it in the form um, in the form of a question. As how do you see our community? Perceiving the chief rabbinate as a body with, with that, fu- that that functions within the this uh, inability or or quagmire you know that that stems from bureaucracy. Meaning, if, I'll, I'll just broaden the 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 Haredi community. From all we can tell, you know, on the one hand, is its biggest supporter, but totally ignores the chief rabbinate because they have nothing. They don't, they don't acknowledge it for their kashuyo. They don't acknowledge it for basically anything. They don't need it. They don't want it. But it's so. But we, on the other hand, supposedly believe in this idea of a chief rabbinate, but we act independent of it as well. So can you? Right. Can so you? I think that's a good. That's a good way to formulate. It. It's a good question because I think you're like in many of our conversations about the uh, religious Zionist community, you ha- you don't have a monolithic approach. You have extremes, and then you have people in the middle, right? You have those on, those on the one extreme who are extremely supportive of the rabbinot. We need the rabbinot. We need to, we, we, you know, um, we, need, we, we, we need to, again, support and encourage the rabbinot. We discourage rogue um, organizations that are popping up that that are either coming in place of the rabbinot or counter to the rabbinot, and we need to support the rabbinot, and, you know, and, and though we're wary of those organizations. And you have on the other end of the spectrum people who are like the rabbinot is a disaster, um, and again, their reasons are bureaucracy, political, right? Many, many um, rabbinut appointees are political appointees, which means a couple of problems. A, it means that hashkafically, even though, as you're saying, the Haredi, Haredi community often has its own moet, so, you know, you know, they don't necessarily use the rabbinut, but the uh, rabbinut um, bureaucracies, for lack of a better word, are stacked with more Haredi-leaning rabbis. Um, and also the problem of people being political appointees mm-hmm. is that you're not necessarily getting the best and the brightest um, to be put into those places. You're, you're getting people who are, you know, again, if you need your job, if you need to get your job appointed for you politically, it's not usually you're not usually going to be a person that is necessarily the top of your. Not always, obviously. I don't mean to be, you know, to de- denigrate anybody, but like uh, <laughs> you're kind of implying it, but okay. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay. Um, 
So there are many problems in the Rabbanut. I think those are probably the two major reasons that there are problems in the Rabbanut, the politics and the um, the more more Haredi leadings of the appointees. Um, and I think in the middle, which is kind of where I find myself, is a place where I would like to support the Rabbanut. I do as uh, in principle support the Rabbanut. I don't think we should tear down the entire system. Um, but I believe that we have to put into place um, healthy uh, competition for the Rabbanut in the sense of, no, better word, not competition, healthy alternatives. Why? A, because to serve the public that's not being served, right? And again, if that's Sohar, if that's, as I mentioned to you guys before, my husband's involved in Diorka Halakha, um, now there's even like, you know, Rav Devani's Kashrut, right? All these are things are different because Sohar actually works with it with, with the Rabbanut. But just um, to clarify, Rav Devani is the head of Sohar's Kashrut. But is, is he working? He's working right. But just, but I don't think that they're recognized by the Rabbanut, right? Oh, of course as not. A, the Rabbanut can't stand it. As opposed to Sohar weddings, which are recognized by the Rabbanut, Rabba, Kashrut Sohar is not under the rubric of the Rabbanut. Correct. Correct. The, the, uh, so I work for just a full disclosure. I work for Thor. I have for many years, many, 10 years, I don't know, eight years, whatever it is. Um, the, so to clarify, the weddings performed by Tzohar are a function of local rabbinates. They are official weddings in Israel, uh, done either through Tel Aviv, Shoham, or Gush Etzion, as it were. Whereas the Kashrut of Tzohar is an entirely separate division. Correct. Uh, and those are, they're not... In, in a legal loophole, actually, it's illegal to call any food not supervised by the chief rabbinate, quote-unquote, kosher. Okay, so therefore, Tsohar's kashu division is called Tsohar Pikuach Mazon, which means literally Tsohar food oversight. Never when mentions the word kosher, even though it implies that it's kosher, because they can't say kosher. Uh, because right. that's illegal. Welcome, welcome right. so to the again, quagmire. So that old, is. And again, Giyur Kahalacha is an organization that is dealing with, with, with lots of cases of Giyur that for some reason are stuck within the Rabbanut. They would prefer people be Miguya through the Rabbanut because it's just better for them, right, technically. Besides the fact that the, the people who are doing the, the Giyur are often part of the, a part of the Rabbanut and support the Rabbanut, but sometimes the late Preira, they, they, they're helping people who mamash are, are bimitsuka, people who are really need help, and so they're helping them, and again, everything is done, um, could, 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 you know, halachically, uh, a very, very high level of, of halachic standards, but my point is... But their giyurim are not recognized by the rabbinu, and, and, and therefore by the state of Israel. And therefore by the state of Israel. Correct. It might be, it's complicated. David explained it to me. So it could be that certain things, it is recognized, it's like chokashvut, right? Like it could be that for certain things, they are recognized as Jews, but for other things, they aren't. I don't know. But 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 Kyur Kalacha is holding all the records meticulously, hoping that one day, with enough pressure, the same thing that happened with Soha will happen with Kyur Kalacha, and that all of these people will be recognized also by the, the Rabbanu Tavashi. The same way, um, again, the same way Soha did that, right? Uh, and again, they they tell people, Lechachila, it'd be better if you could go through the Rabbanu. We're not, they're not coming to do this as an anti-Rabbanu thing. They're coming to do this for people who mamish just really want to be Jewish. They want to be halakhically Jewish. They're well aware that this, that this doesn't solve all of their problems because they, they don't have uh, rabbinic, rabbinic status. But anyway, back to my point, which is, therefore, right, to answer your question, I feel like um, that middle ground of we support the rabbinut, but I think we would like to make the rabbinut better, and we would like to push it to, um, to become better, and Sohar is a good example of actually doing that, 
right? Competition always breeds, you know, as opposed to, you know, socialism, bureaucracy, and monoliths. Competition always breeds things becoming better. So I, I, I personally would like to see more challenges, or, you know, more organizations challenging the rabbinate to do better and actually see them become better, like through, through marriage, through Tzohar. And at the same time, also... Let's call a spade a spade. If the rabbinot, you're not going to do what we need you to do. So we are going to, to carefully and respectfully, but set up alternatives that are going to solve the problem that you're not solving. Okay, Johnny, I want to turn, I want to turn this a little bit political. You can actually refuse to answer if you want. But the question I want to ask is the following. In the end, like the charidization of the chief rabbinate is a political question because the charitization is dependent upon how much we care as a community about this issue and how far we're willing to go to fight about this issue. And the, the reason I say this is because Haredim see this as a do-or-die issue, and they always, at least for the past, not always, for the past couple of decades, have insisted on the Misrat have insisted on have insisted on religious religious issues being at the top of their voting, you know, their voting issues, and therefore they're the ones that have gained power and traction in the chief rabbinate, and therefore have gained power in, in, in these religious issues. Whereas we say we care, but when push comes to shove, our representatives, you know, the representatives of Baida UD or the Mafdal or Yamina or whatever you want to call it, right, they ultimately don't care enough. They, they would rather have either Misrada Chinuch or Misrada, you know, uh, the, the, the Misrada Bitachon or whatever, you know, they, they shy away from religious uh, issues because they just see it as a third rail, as it were. And and for this reason, the power has 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 been placed in the hands of the Haredim to then alienate most of the community from from the from the chief rabbinate. So in the end, are we not our own worst enemy? Whereas we pay lip service to caring about having a rabbinut rashid, but we don't care about it enough to actually sacrifice other things in order to make it more moderate and more religious Zionist. Okay, I will gladly answer that question, but I do want to backtrack a little bit to what you said, because the dynamic between uh, individual Bate Din and the chief rabbiner, I think, is really, really important. And I just want to bring to our listeners' attention uh, the, the, the other side of the coin. So we spoke about the ruling of Rabad Yosef and how individual Bate Din, uh, some did, I wouldn't, not just heed, but agreed to his ruling, and some didn't. And of course, that made life pretty difficult for Ethiopians identifying fully as halachic Jews who a certain particular bet din wouldn't necessarily treat them in that way. The flip side happened a few years ago in a famous case known as the Get of Tzfat. And I won't go into the specific details, but a local bet din made a significant ruling, a, a fairly bold ruling based on, as compared to the average day-to-day Gitin ruling. A very controversial now, ruling. Say it the way it is. A very controversial ruling. A, a, a controversial ruling, uh, Percy had already had dealings with, with the Getzikui, but nonetheless, they invoked a certain uh, 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 approach to halakha and ruling within halakha that most people stay far away from. But the specifics of the case, perhaps, uh, would have justified it. Either which way, that particular Betin made a ruling, they, they didn't hide it, they publicized it. Uh, in fact, in Tchumin Lamad Vav, uh, the ruling was, was shared by many others. However, there was immense pressure on this individual Betdin to, to uh, revoke their ruling um, uh, and going up to the chief rabbinate, putting pressure on them to revoke their ruling. Now, why, why is this significant? Because in Tchumin Lamad Zayn, there's a very, very interesting article by Dayan Daichovsky. 
which which was prompted by this whole story, which is should a, a local betting uh, change their mind, basically, if pressurized by other Batedin, including the chief rabbinate, uh, for for uh, for external causes, meaning for political causes, or even if other people think they're wrong. And I won't bore you with the whole thing. I'm happy to share this with people, but I'll read to the last line, which says, <laughs> which means re revoking a ruling based on external pressure, <laughs> which may include pressure by great masters of halakha. He benigud halakha is in fact against halakha. And because what Dain Dajkowski is saying is, once the the uh, central institution medal was a private bate din, then we basically take away any authority and any autonomy and the ability to be nuanced in the particular locale where the rabbis are based. Now, that's a flip side, of course, of the problem of what we've been discussing. Here we're saying a, lo a central ruling should surely have an impact on local bate din. What Dan Dajkowski is saying is, Maybe in some cases, but in other cases, actually, that can be very, very problematic. So how we find the balance really is a very, very delicate issue. Some people basically say we all Batidin should be independent. Um, others say there should be a consistency. I think part of the problem... Yeah, Johnny, in the halachic system, in the ideal halachic system, there's something called the Beitin Agadob Yerushalayim. And that Beitin has ultimate authority over the other Batidin. In every legal system, in every secular legal system, there's no such thing as judicial independence, where one one judge can make a decision and that sticks and nobody has authority over them, there's a central authority. So why in the world should there not be central authority in halachic systems as well, especially in light of the fact that the, that this is, that, you know, anyone would agree. You just read the Mishnah and Sanhedrin, and and it's obvious that there's such a thing as a Beit in a Gadol. There isn't a central authority. Right. The, the notion of irurim and appeals is, uh, I think, of importance. There's a whole debate, basically, of that role and that process within halakha. Here, I'm not... Dayan Dajkowski isn't necessarily saying if people think this betin is, is fundamentally wrong, although in this particular case there was that, but also about the political external pressure that can come of it, meaning it's basically sometimes hard to figure out. Are you objecting to my psat because I, you think I read the radbaz wrong? Or do you think it's, you'd rather we not, simply not rule this way? It's sometimes hard to know the nature of the objection, or a political objection can be dressed up as being a religious objection. So we're going very far afield, but this is fascinating to me. Why do you think it was, it was ever any different historically? Why would it ever have been different? There's every bait in, every court, every Supreme Court, ultimately it has to take in not only just the, ob the objective law, but also the political reality that that law creates. <laughs> And that's and as much I, I, as they I'm might well deny it, that's obviously know. part of the part of their decision-making process. I, and in fact, in fact, yeah, I would I would actually affirm that and say often the central court would say the local courts don't have the foresight that the central court's job is. The local courts are basically just tied up in what's going on wherever they are, be it Svat or Ramagan or wherever we've been talking about. Nonetheless, the, in this case, I think the times of the times have changed because. The weight by which uh, rulings, uh, so the nature by which rulings are shared, uh, of course, has radically changed, uh, and the contrast between particular rulings has shared has changed. And specifically here, 
the, the question mark about the political interventions. Just to give one simple example, and I, I suggest our listeners uh, paint heed of this, and I'm happy to share this, there's a lengthy essay by Rav Rimon that was published in Tradition about Giyur and interventions by the central chief rabbinate that would make most people's hair turn white. So, how... Wait, John, it's, how I just want to point out, in that specific case, fascinating, what happened was that someone tried to appeal to the Rabbanut Rashid about that case again in Tzvah, but the, then the Israeli secular court intervened and said that that person had no standing, which they didn't because they weren't a relative of the defendant in any way, of the, of the Baal, of the husband of the Get. And the, the Israeli secular court stepped in and prevented the Rabbanut Rashid from issuing a ruling about the local case. It is really like, I don't even know how you deal with that. Like, you know, you're mind-blowing that the Israeli Supreme Court ruled and prevented the Rabbanut Rashid from issuing a ruling. Uh, I'm, you know, like... And that, that whole idea of having uh, basically a random person making objection was in order to basically be a... Uh, a create to, to shift the balance of the ruling and, and bring it back to two so that basically what I'm simply acknowledging is that what you said about the balance of power and authority from local batidin and central batidin I'm not saying it should be exclusively one or exclusively the other but there is inherent tension in that and that's evident in how kashrut policies are played out uh, and, and, and almost all aspects of uh, religious services are played out. When you have these flashpoints or these very, very significant cases, this comes to bear. And, and here in the case of the Ethiopian jury, we've, we've seen, you've got a, a ruling by Rabad Yosef and many people saying, I don't hold by him or I don't like him or I don't agree with his ruling, whatever that is to you. But that's how they've been doing things. I, do, I agree with you. I don't think this statement is going to make much of a difference. Okay, but let's go back to my my original my my five, my last question. The original question. The question of so political. Of how much do we as a community really care? Like we give lip service to, the, to this idea of the chief rabbinate and not being Haredi, but when push comes to shove, it seems to me that we don't really care because we care about other things instead. I, I I'm always very very anxious when we when we. Uh, around, I mean, religious Zionist does, well, the word Haredi, by the way, is very, very broad. And many religious Zionists are very, very happy that their rabbinate is being serviced by Haredi rabbis, presuming they have certain, uh, uh, you know, areas of agreement, if halachic and, and perhaps even ideological. What basically happened is, yes, religious Zionism overall had a vision uh, that there'd be um, a chief rabbinate, that there were, everybody would be serviced. That means those who are least observant would still have kosher food and religious services would be pro provided. And for those who want more, perhaps uh, other opportunities would be available to that. However, as we know, the things haven't quite played out that way. Uh, some of it's to do with uh, current in, uh, um, inhabitants of the chief rabbinate. I must uh, shout out, many people actually would point the finger to Rav Goren. Rav Goren, who many people would see as the model of religious Zionism seemed to push things too far, to mix politics in halakha, the famous Langer ruling. That's why Rav Eliashev quit the chief rabbinate. And so uh, I think actually part of the rod has been made by the religious Zionist community themselves. When you blur ideology uh, and politics and religion, problems arise. And it's not merely the fault of what people often simply call the Haredim. The key question really is this. We have a huge system. It, it has a significant reach. And we shouldn't forget the great majority of Israelis keep kosher. 
That's thanks mostly to the chief rabbinate. That's, that's a significant thing. There are many other things that go right. I'm not the biggest fan, but neither should we necessarily throw everything under the bus. The key question is, is there ways to make improvements or, or, or radical changes? Some, you know, I know Rav Stav uh, was hoped by some to be the chief rabbi. That didn't happen. Uh, currently, as things are, is there an alternative to what we have? Uh, and what we have through Starhar and Giyul Alachai is kind of saying, until we can fix the Rabbanut properly, we're going to just get on and try and make our own fixes, even if they're half-ish baked, uh, because we can't stand by and let more and more injustices take place. Mali, can you answer? Do you, do you want to? Can you answer this? Take the same question. Do we care enough as a community, or we pay lip service? Um, you know, I think I think you're. I think it's this dilemma that we've been talking about before. I think you're right. I think that, as you've said before, when we talked about voting, right? Haredim are one issue voters. You know, um, we which party is going to worry about the interests of the Haredi community, right? Um, and that's how their that's how their parties. Um, 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 that's what they run on, and that's what they provide. And uh, they have basically decided that for them. Um, as you're saying, you know, they 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 have basically slowly but surely taken taken I, I, all but a monopoly. I don't know if we could call it a monopoly today, but for many years, very much a monopoly over over Misrata Datot and over the Rabbanu Um And again, is as you're saying, is that um, to be laid as a flaw on us as the religious Zionist community, where we, you know, whereas you said we said no, we want Misrata Chinuch and maybe we want Misrata Bitachon and um, all kinds of other things was that kind of shrugging their shoulders and saying like practically we need to make a coalition and like we need the Haredim in and this is their Yaharag Val Yavor. I do think there's a little bit of a of a um, rush. What's rush language in English? A little bit of a we we, we were mafkirit a little bit. We didn't we didn't um, we didn't fight hard enough. We didn't and we don't. I mean, I don't know if you saw, Naftali Bennett said, this time it's a red line. We're going for Misrat Datot. And like, how many people really believe him? I don't think they really, and, and I don't believe him. when push comes to shove, again, if the Haredim say, well, then we're out and then there's no government, is he really going to hold that line? Of course not. Uh, right. So, so I think it's a, I think it's a real problem. Um, but again, the, the other side of it is we also care about other things. And that's part of, again, Haredim are, are very laser focused. Um, and that Datilumi world is much more, focused on a lot of other things, Litova, because we care about a larger range of, we see ourselves as involved in a larger range of issues. Um, but I think Johnny just raised a really interesting point about how sometimes we can over, we can over focus on issues that perhaps we shouldn't focus on. Um, and, um, our, you know, that can cause problems as well. So life is complicated. <laughs> But I realize I always do. I always, I always feel like I, 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 I try to have this, like you know, melamed um, on on Israelis and the Datilumi world. I think when you take the long, the long view, we are moving in a positive direction. If you, if you see where we were uh, 15 years ago, 40 years ago, and the state of the religious services today, I think, thank God, like we woke up and we decided to start acting and to start making shifts. And I think that that is actually very positive. So I'm going to, you know, that's how I, I would agree. I would actually say, you know, as I think Sohar's perspective has always, has always been that the chief rabbinate is critical. It plays a critically important role in the, in the community, in the Israeli community. But we have to try to make it better. 
And in, in weddings, actually, it's, it's quite documented that Zohar has done that, that the competition that Rabbi Neyot faced in Zohar has forced them to re- relate to people better and give better service and have better hours. And they're hoping to do that in Kashrut. You know, the Rabbinut has a monopoly, an absolute monopoly on, on Gitin and Giyur, uh, which, which is challenging and difficult and problematic. But there are benefits. I personally believe there are benefits to having a central authority and to having, you know, a person that it, it, ultimately, a body that ultimately represents values. And in the end, I think even with, uh, how shall we say this, with the nicest face and with the, and with the, the, the greatest countenance and the one, most wonderful demeanor, which hopefully the, I, I think that many in the rabbinate want to have or try to have. Ultimately, you, you have to be, if, if you have allegiance to halakha, then much of society is going to resent the rules that halakha represents because halakha does not, uh, is not in, in necessarily in, in, uh, in, in consonance with, with many of the values of Western society, even modern Israeli society. Take the example of giurim. You know, you could, you know, there there are horror stories, and giur halacha does amazing work. But the bottom line is, and no matter how great giur halacha is, it will not solve the problem of the tens and if not hundreds of thousands of non-Jews living in Israel today. It can't. Halacha can't resolve that. And to suggest that it can or that it should, that it's the rabbinate's well, fault okay, or yeah, problem. That's a, that's a conversation for a different podcast. But okay, a, next podcast. But I'm saying how to, how to deal with it, but. But again, there's so, I would say like this, your point is well taken and correct that like halacha is halacha and it has no <laughs> otherwise it wouldn't be halacha. And I also would argue that for all the people who therefore resent halacha, I think there are a lot of people who, re- who respect halacha, right? And sometimes they are a little bit like kind of are cynical about, like, did you see this very cute Underdust video? It's actually adorable. Um, Underdust is this uh, parody um, comedy troupe. They put a, a little uh, clip of somebody walks into a... Um, into a, a falafel store and is like, are you Taref? And the guy's like, can, can, and it's basically a I saw it. It was not well received in Sohar. They didn't love that video. Exactly. <laughs> Why was it not well received in Sohar? Because the Sohar rabbi is basically presented as all I care about is love, peace, happiness, and giving you a kiss on the forehead. And um, and I think many, many Masorati Jews who, who, who aren't keeping all the halachat you know, the halachot, that's not the, their, their lifestyle, but they want their religious authorities to actually hold the line on religious issues. So I think that that's important, and I think you're right. But at the same time, I think there's plenty to be done within the Rabbanut, or within the, let's just say, within the larger religious system, both in terms of, as you said, the face you put on it, the, the effort you put in, the caring. Um, again, David, in his work for Giyar Kalacha, was just went to an event, a very interesting one, actually, with some very, very... Hopefully, whatever, I won't go into it. But he said, like, the, the rabbis of Gurkha Halakha, as rabbis should be, a rabbi should not sleep at night if if a case comes before him and and people are b'mitsuka and he can solve their issue, he should not be able to fall asleep at night until he solves their issue. That should be the attitude and the approach within the 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 religious services and the, and the, and the authorities that are giving those services. And I think there is work to be done there. And that doesn't contradict... And, and by the way, even Gyur Kalacha, and again, I don't want to say too much because it's not me and I'm talking about him, but they say no. They say no. They say come back. They say do this. They say not ready. You think they're just, it's not. It's, again, it's like Sohar. Sohar, okay, Sohar. I, I, I would definitely agree that Gyur is a topic for, another, for a larger discussion. Totally which definitely have, well, I'm, I'm just saying. My, my, only, point. my own point is that people often conflate the rabbinate with Judaism <laughs> and that when they have a problem with Judaism, 
they they and and understand the rabbinic take. Do you take. think that? I, I, I don't do. know if I see I that. really I do. I think they just conflate the rabbinate with like not the Judaism, but Jew, but but rabbinic authority, and all our anger at a rabbinic authority gets taken out on 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 the rabbanut. They're obviously all you know narrow-minded, um, insensitive, anti-women, you know, small-minded, xenophobic, anti-gear, all of them. And I think that that's kind of shallow. But I think people that people do project their frustrations onto the rabbanut. I don't know Johnny. Yeah, I would agree. Rabbinic Judaism. authority. If the Rabbanot's the only rabbinic authority you know, and the few times you yeah. ever have encounters with them, it's not pleasant. Yeah, it's a good point. Of course, that's what people think. I, mean, yeah. I have relatives who are not religious in Israel. The only time they encounter official rabbis other than me, right, is, is you know, marriage and, and, and divorce and burial. And there's just lots of paperwork. Uh, and, and often the service, if it's not to tsar, is very impersonal and can be tricky. And that's just a natural conclusion. Um, you know, we, but as mentioned, I think there are, there are many fine people who do excellent work. There are obviously, there are many cases where things have been disappointing, and that's an understatement. Um, the question really isn't, uh, are there issues, but what can be done other than come up with other parties either in partnership with your Abanut or working parallel to and just go back to Ruby's point you know I've, I'm a, a fan of Tsar but in, initially when Tsar was established uh, Rav Stav was very very clear we believe in the Rabbanut we basically just want to be a, an extra leg which we think does better and will bring a little bit more hope and, and uh, an appreciation and positivity towards uh, general experiences of uh, Jewish life cycles However, in recent years, and, and, uh, and, and I know I've said it on a number of occasions, his tone has changed. Um, and I think it's because he doesn't see uh, any significant move. And rather than saying, I, I want the Rabbanut to succeed and, I, and, we, and I'm just adding some extra services, I don't think he wants to pull it down, God forbid, but, but he's a lot less hopeful, a lot more pessimistic. And basically he feels that the Rabbanut is, is a significant impediment to some of the things that need to be done for the present and future of Midnight Israel. And that's shift over the last five to 10 years, uh, which has really been a growing frustration for decades, I think it speaks volumes about how many people within the Tzilumi world relate to the Rabbanut. In theory, we'd like it to work. In practice, a lot of us are kind of lost hope. That's a shame. Um, and uh, the question is, what's next? So I, I want to actually make one more point which I think I mentioned before, before we started recording, but it's, it bears repeating. The problem might be in, inherent in the Ramanut in that it's a system of bureaucracy connected with religion. Meaning, meaning like when, when you connect religion to the government, that by definition causes problems. Like if you go to the DMV and you want to get your driver's license, you don't, I mean, you would like them to be nice. You would like them to be kind and compassionate, but if they're not kind and compassionate, you still have to go get your driver's license. Same is true with your health insurance or any other area of bureaucratic life. You don't expect the people to say, oh, like, you know, I can't sleep at night because you couldn't get your driver's license. You'd like them to think that, but you just don't have that expectation. But when we come to the issue uh, issues of religion, of you're getting your get, you're getting married, you know, and this was Sarah's whole point of innovation. The point was, it can't just be a bureaucracy. It has to be something more. It has to give. These are the only times that we're interacting with people, and their only interaction with with religion can't be negative. 
And I, I'm not, not just sure. Because of that, Ruby, it's not just because of that. I think it's just a basic um, um, religious principle that when you interact with people at, in, in their time, ever, A, and especially in their times of need or sensitivity, part of the religious uh, stricture is um, do it with uh, kindness. Um, but this, a, a sick person also needs kindness. A sick person needs kindness more I, than a person getting married. Like maybe, okay. That's also Meaning, but we don't find people critical of the marechet. When's the last time you heard somebody... When you had, when's the last time you heard somebody say, oh, we have to create an alternative to Misrata, the, the, you know, the, the Briut, because... Because the Pidim are not are not are not compassionate enough. <laughs> no, no, but that's exactly my point. No, the people. What I'm saying is, but now you're, I think your bar is too low for what a religious. Um, uh, if you if you represent religion, then you are not a pakid, and you are not a, a, a doctor. You can make an argument. He's basically just a uh, mechanic for your body, but uh, but a a a, uh, a rabbinic figure is is a um, is meant to be a human being who is there to interact with your soul and your spirit. And I think that that demands religion by nature. It, you cannot separate better than It's impossible. It's an impossibility. The two things are inexplicably inexplicably intertwined. Um, and I think that that's. So I, I I think that I would like to I would like to bring a raya from the Torah from the rabbinic figure who's interacting with anybody. We're going to read Pasha Yitro. And what happened was, you know, Yitro comes along and Yitro says finds Moshe Rabbeinu standing from morning to night and says to him and says to him. Moshe Rabbeinu, you're gonna you're, you're gonna pursue pursue. You're gonna fall apart. You cannot address every single person. You have to establish a system, essentially a bureaucracy, in order to address all of these people. Yes. Now, I'm not saying uh, and Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't go to sleep at night, but but Yitro's whole point was that's not a function. That's not a system that can function. And so, yeah, what if people wanted to talk to Moshe? I want to talk to Moshe. I need to talk to Moshe to hear my no, problem. No, no. Sorry. A bureaucracy of people who are kind and caring and ethical and um, and and humane. That's what you need. And yell, that's hard? Too bad. That's what it means to be a rabbi. You could say, yeah. Uh, all I'm saying, I understand what you're saying, and in principle, I agree with you. But and in I reality... If we start viewing religious services as the DMV. That's what happens when you make it a part of a government, when you make no, it official. that's not true. If I'm the rabbi... That's being put, that's my job. If I see myself as a DMV serviceman, that's probably the problem, right? And I never understood, like, how could people treat people this way? And now you're answering me, oh, it's because they view themselves as, as the DMV. And I'm like, how can you, you're a rabbi. You can't view, you're not the DMV. You're, you're, you have smicha, you're a rav. You're interacting. So you well, first of all, most of the people, they're not Rabbanim. The people who work in these, in these Muatza okay. are employees. Let's be honest. It's it also irrelevant. Who cares about the smicha, right? You can, I'm just saying. Correct. Torah or mitzvot. You are presenting the word of Hashem. You have to hold yourself to a higher standard. The Kohanim, that was a giant bureaucracy, and the whole thing fell apart when they basically started viewing themselves as bureaucrats. That's what I understand, them. but I think you proved my point that it's very, very difficult when you have an it official is, when you have an okay. official system. So then you it then you're then you'd be in favor. Then you're in favor of tearing down the chief remnant. Then you're in favor of tearing it down. Okay, but what happened when we stopped holding ourselves to those standards? Again, then you're saying that you're in favor of uh, that. That no, that that's the real question is: Can there be an official arm of a government that can act I'm as a private there can institution? Be bureaucracies with people who hold themselves to higher standards of um, of ethical, moral, and interpersonal behavior. And when it doesn't happen, God gets mad. And that's not me saying that. That's Ishayao saying that, and you're Miao saying that. Agreed. But I'm telling you that it's very much easier when you're in Sohar and you're a private organization than when you're the official arm. 
When you're, you know what I'm saying? Okay. When you're gear halacha, so when you you're the official arm. That. That's why you need to find solutions. I, I said at the beginning, I don't believe in bureaucracy. I believe in um, competi- healthy competition and free markets, right? So how do you marry those two together is a very difficult question, but I think it can be done. I think it's all, all I can tell you is to do it. I, I've, been pr- I've been present when a, a, a former student of mine who'd had a, who basically needed to go through a, a, a further gear process and had to approach a chief rabbinate office, I went for some moral support. The person spoke very, very nicely, but their conclusions were were ridiculous. And um, it, the, the whole point is, he didn't follow any protocol. It basically was a subjective thing, highly subjective. I'm not getting specific details. But once individuals, if, if only the system worked as a system with protocols which were transparent, I'd say, fine, I may like it, don't like it, but at least I know what I'm getting. Mm. The problem is you have a system which allegedly has protocols, but it doesn't follow them, where people do their own thing, um, and where it, it's hit and a lot more miss than hit, and you, when you're meeting people at their most vulnerable. So if most people's interaction with the Rabbanut, where your life can be most changed positively or negatively, and people have those difficulties. And it seems to be just the opinion of the person. The person in DMV need not be nice to me, but I know they're following a protocol. The difference is, if I go to the Rabbanot, uh, and in some cases, again, not all, and I feel they're not only not being nice, they're not following protocol, and there's nothing I can do about it. There's no appeal I can do. And this is just a system, and it has a huge impact on my life. I may need to spend another year reconverting to Judaism or not being able to marry this person. You know... There's no reason. This is the reason why there's resentment, and you know we think back to the words of those nabiim of Yeshayahu, Yimiyahu, and I, and you know, literally the bechi b'kodesh baruch is sometimes very much heard in those uh, corridors of so-called power. Okay, I think this is a topic that's worth definitely worth revisiting. I definitely think <laughs> we should bring up the issue of giur. I think I think definitely think it's worth. Uh, maybe we'll have a guest. Uh, Bring in a guest to talk about it. And Molly, do you know anybody? And yeah, um, <laughs> and and it's something that we should definitely re- revisit uh, in coming weeks. Uh, we'll wrap it up here. I want to thank Molly and Brasky and Johnny Solomon for this lively discussion. If you have comments or questions and you and you're still with us, you lasted this far. You can you can follow find either any of us on Facebook. You can email us. We're pretty much uh, very much accessible. And, uh, and uh, continue the conversation. We're happy to entertain your comments and thoughts. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great day.